0: and welcome to the Shivari Study Podcast. I'm Wicked Ren, and today I'm speaking to Ashley. She uses she, they pronouns, and you'll know her as Ray of Ash online. She's a professional therapist, a body positive model, a writer, an artist, wears many, many very cute hats.
1: How are oh, well. you? I'm amazing, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing so, so, so well.
0: You're in Vegas right now, and I think it's like 150 degrees outside, right? At least. God. You said At you least. moved there during the pandemic time, right?
1: Yeah, March 1st, 2020. So beautiful timing really um, to, you know, start a new path in life, right? Uh, <laughs> right two weeks before after <laughs> um, the shutdown. Um, so it's an interesting time to come here and experience Vegas in a very different way. Yeah.
0: I never thought about that juxtaposition because Vegas is so bustling and so crazy, and then you move there and there's nothing happening at all.
1: Yeah, there was times that you could actually just walk down the strip with nobody there, like on the street, right? Because wow.
0: there's no cars. It's kind yeah. of wild. Isn't that nice though? With like no cars on the street, and you can actually walk around and not worry about being run over by a big car, and it's kind of nice.
1: It is nice, but you know, that's part of what I love about Vegas is I love the energy and all the people and the diversity, and there's constantly something here.
0: Absolutely. So before you moved to Vegas, what were you up to? What was going on in life?
1: A lot of the same things, just in a very different part of the country. I've been a therapist for a really long time, and when I was uh, in Oklahoma, where I came from, between Oklahoma and Texas, those are um, my old stomping grounds. I love it. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I worked with children and families historically. Um, worked at a university um, teaching psychology, and I also began uh, modeling while I was there and rope. Um, so I began everything there. Coming to Vegas was a way to move out, move out of being a big fish in a little pond, and to feel more challenged.
0: How are like the kink communities and the LGBT world? in Oklahoma and Texas versus Vegas? How different is it?
1: Whew. So this is what's very interesting. Uh, In Oklahoma, or so Tulsa, where I was primarily living before I came here, has three active dungeons and did at the time. And those dungeons actually work. Yeah, I I see your face. So those dungeons (laughs) actually work really well together. Um, they support each other and I've had some of the best rope and kink education that I've had access to in those areas. Um, now LGBTQ, very different story, right? Like you're going to find your pockets of support of that. Um, but there's a reason why, so the dungeons are very underground, uh, there as well. Right. Whereas here, you're going to see people, uh, walking in the streets and harnesses and, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) just staff on doing whatever, but there's no active dungeon. Do you feel
0: like since in somewhere like Tulsa, where you can't walk around on the street in a harness, it makes more "quote unquote"
1: community? That's an interesting thing to think of. I think so because you feel this sense of you kind of need to band together and sort of support each other in that way, um, because you know there is that fear um, yeah. that I think a lot of us experience in a lot of communities uh, when we feel like uh, we're not part of that community in full acceptance of as who we are.
0: Isn't it strange that Vegas doesn't have a lot of like fun dungeon time? Like you can just go and like hang out and stuff like that. I feel like everything is very monetized.
1: It absolutely is. And that's, that is it. Right. So, um, you know, kink doesn't really make money. If It's at best. It really supports your passion. Yes. Um, so yeah, everything in Vegas is about the hustle and um, you don't also don't want to compete with the big hustles right Uh, on the strip so it is weird there are parties here and there but yeah man I miss the um, I I just said this to somebody this morning like I miss the play parties I miss knowing that like there's a dungeon party this weekend and I'm gonna go see some wild shit and and participate in it as well
0: it's so funny you said that kink doesn't make money and other things support kink one of the I guess myths that I really believed in the beginning was that kink was for very poor people. It was underground, it was all these kinds of things. In actuality, kink is very expensive to do. And most people do not do this for a living outside of pro-sex workers, outside of pro-doms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And obviously, there are people that do rope as their primary occupations. Very, very, very small percentage of people.:
1: Yeah, and I've done it. so I used to hand make rope. Um, And so I know what that looks like to have even a product as you're selling and uh, trying to pedal places as well as teaching uh, rope. So. um, You can you can see in different communities um, how much access there is through that. And you're right, it's extremely expensive to be able to carry out, right, like just like anything that you really want to learn to a higher level um you have to invest in one way or another
0: even the time cost is quite high
1: absolutely it's very hard to learn you said that you're
0: a body positive model what does that mean to you
1: to me that means when I model I am just being me I'm not altered um like I tell photographers you can please like make this your your Um, art, I want you to do uh, the color and editing in those ways that make sense for you and make this feel like you. But please don't change my body uh, in a way that affects what I actually look like. And to me, that's about inspiration. Uh, Originally, when I began body positive modeling, it was a journey for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I have always been fairly confident in who I am. And that last part of acceptance and love for my body was not there. I, most of us grew up in a very fat-shaming culture, and especially um, some of the families that I grew up in, it was very much part of that culture that your weight was tied to your worth. Um, and I haven't always been a bigger person. I've been all over the places, so I've had different experiences of, you know, feeling looking thin and um, how people responded to me then and what the comments they even made about my health. Um, and then on the other end as well, right, being a fat person um, and have people make assumptions and comments about my health. It allowed me to start exploring the appreciation for what my body is doing, is allowing me to live like my, my body allows me to live and to do things. And um, once I started being able to push through that for myself. Um, through just baby steps of exploration of doing the modeling and meeting the body positive community because we all uh, need support to get anywhere. Um, I saw how inspiring it was to others. Messages from people, um, all types of humans saying, you know, just seeing your photos, I can see your confidence or your body looks like mine and you look so fucking sexy. Like, so that makes me feel like I can be too. Right. And that's now why I do that's part of why I do. And I want to I want to punch people in their gut and make them really feel and think as as they see my modeling and art. Um, Yeah.
0: Was there a time where you didn't have the body positive part before model? Was there a time where you maybe were changing yourself for other people and then you decided, fuck this, I don't want to do it or or no?
1: So I um, modeling and body positivity went hand in hand for me um that's how i started to even explore it uh this was back in the days of the beginning of instagram and i started as nefarious because um you know i'm a therapist and i was um a professor at a university and i didn't want anybody to see any of these photos so you know this was my underground me um so that's how i started to look at it was through the modeling and how i was able to explore um i was also living a life where I wasn't very happy in the way that I was living. Mm -hmm. And the modeling allowed me to kind of have an excuse to go out and do new things, dress up in different ways and, um, you know, meet different people and have different experiences. Because before that I had really had the impression that a fat person didn't have worth. That's what i had been conditioned, right? Like I'm fat and frumpy and I should just at home and wear baggy clothes so nobody has to be disgusted by me and you know oh well um to wear like you've seen my instagram today we're lucky to get clothes on me we're lucky i'm wearing clothes right now Just to be very honest with you
0: (laughs) and when did you find kink in this journey i imagine it was modeling first and then finding kink and rope
1: so there were some things that I did, um, that were kinky when I was younger and play, but they weren't anything that I realized. Um, like, you know, I did water sports on my prom night, but didn't really, you know, like I'm just doing a thing for fun, you know? Um, and then I was married for a really long time in a very sexually, um, repressed marriage. So there wasn't any exploring. Um, Whenever I started teaching at the university, one of my favorite classes was Psych of Human Sexuality. And, um, you know, sex and death, I say, are my soapbox issues. Uh, And I can go on about that forever if we need to. But, um, so I love exploring that topic um, for various reasons. But there's a lot about kink in uh, Psych of Human Sexuality, right, it's very interesting. And um, I started being more curious then and then through the modeling, kind of like I think a lot of people do, especially these days with, with Instagram and FetLife, I saw a picture of a rope shoot um, that a photographer I'd worked with previously had done. And I was like, I want to do that. And um, they were like, well, you need to contact the rope person and see if they want to do that with you. Um, and they did. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, so that I, I kind of say I literally fell for rope one night and here we are today.
0: Now we're talking. Yeah. So going back a little bit, you said your soapbox is sex and death. What does that mean?
1: Ooh. Um, and, and that'll also lead me into like my passion for kink. Actually, I'll, I'm happy to link those together. It makes me very excited to do so. So for as long as I've been, you know, in the therapy world and the psychology world, working to understand humans, one thing I really noticed is sex and death link us. <laughs> as humans, no matter what type of human you are, sex and death are showing up in your life, throughout your whole life, and every single relationship you're going to have. And in our culture specifically, we do almost everything we can to avoid anything about those things. We don't look at it. We don't talk to each other about it. We don't understand that it's part of our health. We just don't deal with it. And so I feel very strongly that for us to really be able to be the most of ourselves that we can be. We have to be able to confront sex and death. And that leads me to my passion for kink because I think kink and then you know, really rope bondage is where I always am going to go. But any type of kink offers us a platform and a forum to explore those things, a confrontation of our humanity. You know, we're pushed to the edge of facing death-like things Mm -hmm. and sexy things. And then hopefully having a space of acceptance and beauty while we're doing that, while we're sitting in that suffering, which is what life is a lot of. of. Yeah.
0: Why is it important to talk about sex and death? Why is that such a big thing?
1: Again, because it's who we are, right? Like, it is who we are. (laughs) part of who we're going to be. And if we're unable to talk about it, we're not able to be our most authentic nor most healthy selves. Yeah. Right. What I find for a lot of people, for most humans that I work with or just encounter, those are the two major things that are affecting them the most, causing them the most difficulty Yeah, to have that acceptance and love in that way.
0: We really suffer in silence with those things. And if we would just talk about it, we can find community and then find out people are doing the same things. And then you know, find out new ways to kind of deal with stuff, I suppose.
1: Absolutely. You know, and again, we suffer alone in those things. Right. And that's where we're harmed sometimes the most humans are meant to be together. It's on our hierarchy of needs, um, just past, you know, basic food, water and shelter safety. We are meant to feel connection and acceptance. And it's not often that we actually find that in our cultures, And that's why I, again, love to have that in kink, because if I need to drool and, you know, scrape up your face, we're going to accept each other and be really turned on and love it, (laughs) hopefully, as we're doing that. And, you know, I might not be able to do that, or I won't be able to do that in almost any other setting in my life.
0: Yeah, it doesn't really work out when you're, like, playing tennis. It doesn't give you the same. (laughs) Trust me, I've tried.
1: Yeah, I would love to see that to this match. (laughs) It gives you gives you some winning advantage but <laughs> in your face.
0: So you're also a writer. You've written a ton of articles. They're all awesome. There's one Thanks. specifically that I would like to talk about, and it is titled There's No Rope for Fat Bottoms. And I would love for you to give us a little primer on that, the ethos of it. What is it about?
1: Yeah, so I, you know, was inspired to write this article because, again, Body positivity is where I do a lot of advocacy. And what I notice in body positivity is the attitude is always turned towards, again, fat people. But again, in working with humans, every person I encounter struggles with being in their body yes. in one way or another. Um, and, you know, uh, our mind and bodies are not disconnected. So, the more that we can find, again, that ability to be one with ourselves in every way, the healthier and happy we happier we usually are. So I noticed that there seemed to be a trend and um, people that I think are working to be inclusive and thoughtful. Um, however, it ends up creating an exclusive segregation, in a way, of people who are fat. Um, I noticed classes and writings towards specific harnesses and specific ways to tie bigger bodies. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I just felt like that's not where the subject is best served. The subject is best served that, in the end, we do rope to interact with ourselves and each other, to interact. The rope, rope is a tool. Yes. It's a medium for us to be able to have that expression um, and whatever that expression interaction means. Um, So in the end, to me, it's about just being able to tie a person, whatever type of person that person may be um, and whatever it is that they're bringing to the table and you're bringing to the table. And if we approach it in the way of someone needs to have special skills or special knowledge to tie a person because of the person they are, it ends up making that person feel like it's not accessible to them and that they're not going to be able to do that. And that's part of why I um, do the things I like to do and put myself out there in rope. I want people to see me and go, holy shit, look at what she's doing. Yeah, I could do that too. Yeah. I was really
0: excited to read the article because there's so much discourse around rope being for everybody, but I haven't really been able to take anything from that it hasn't been a lot it's usually like what you said it's use this one harness for this one kind of body and that feels so 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 bad you started this article i fucking loved how you did it you essentially say that making new space for people rather than working them into the spaces that already exist is bad and the solution is not adding more rope or it's not making a brand new harness. And that's actually very, very othering. Any marginalized group, we do that where we want to make a brand new little subsection for this group to sit into. And I love that you started the article identifying that.
1: Thank you for saying that. I think what I also noticed is that when you start to create this subsect for people, now we have to uh, decide if that person qualifies into that group. Yes. so now I have to yeah start to break down are you are you fat enough to be uh, body positive? Yeah. Are you transitioned enough to be trans? Yes. Are you you know gay enough to be gay? Yeah. Are you black enough to be black? Like yes. And we start to create these things where it then causes us to question ourselves and each other and fit ourselves into these little labels and boxes. I'm a ton of fucking things. Yeah. Um, just as you are and each of us are, right. And to me, I want you to address all the things about me as an individual, not a a checked box that you see on a page. Um, And it, it does a disservice to people who aren't fat and rope too. Because what I start to notice as well is like, so even though I'm fat, I'm really healthy. Essentially, I'm really healthy and I have a really healthy lifestyle. Um, And I can do a lot of things with my body. Again, that's where body positive took me to realize. I can do a lot of badass things in rope um, that people would never expect. And things that sometimes I see people uh, half my size um, in, in stature aren't able to do the same things. And so that almost, again, does them a disservice because now you're coming away from understanding that you need to attend to that individual and their abilities their limits and, um, difficulties and address that person. Yeah.
0: Yes. I, I think that even goes further with how we talk about bottoms. We say you're a power bottom, you're a tank, you're a this. And that really takes away the ability from to say, Hey, I have a problem because I don't want to seem like they have a problem. And I liked what you said in that article so much, because you're essentially saying the conversation about rope just needs to change on a systemic level.
1: I do, I do. That the, the typical stereotype that you would picture of someone in rope, and what you see most of those pictures of, yeah. it takes away everybody's voice, I feel yes. like, when we don't just address each other as humans and have that understanding.
0: So another thing you say in that article is, you take a ton of rope classes, you're very educated in rope, but you do not tie. So I would be curious how you partake in rope education as a bottom. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so um, there's a lot there. When you say when you said a moment ago that I want to change the rope conversation systemically, I do on lots of different levels. Okay. So I also teach rope, um, and have been for a long time, and that's part of why I take so many classes. I had the great advantage of my very first major rope education that wasn't like a. This is what we do every other week to share at the local dungeon was with Fioko, um, And Great. I was able to just be so empowered immediately from the beginning. And I feel very privileged, like I said, in having that because um, I saw that I'm not just here to be tied. This is up to me to have a voice too and to be equally invested in this thing that we're doing in Rope. Um, so I have never stopped taking classes. I'm even involved right now in, um, the devil Mass society, um, with my current rope partner, Jessica's dark. I think you guys have met sure. at one of those as well. Yeah. So, um, she and I do that monthly. Right. And like you were talking about that time and dedication that, uh, yeah. is required from that, um, I've taken every class that any top I've ever tied with has taken. And then some, um, I usually actually take more classes than them. I believe it's just as important for me to understand what's happening with the rope in my body, um, as it is for them to understand what's happening. Also, how can I keep myself safe if I don't know, yeah. uh, what's supposed to be happening, Yeah. right? So I used that because only until only recently has there been really bottom focused education when I came into rope. Pioca was probably the only one that was even like saying anything like that. Yeah. Um, And everything was top led. This is how you do this tie. So by going to those classes, I get bottom information as well. The more I can understand about the ties, often they do have bottoms who are speaking and then giving their thoughts and impressions. And I'm able to take that away. So when I teach, I tell people that I feel like I trick you. Um, So I trick you in two ways you are coming to my rope class, but surprise, it's top by the bottom, and my top is the model. Love it. Um, Tell me about that. How does that work? (laughs) So I'm teaching the class. Um, I'm teaching everything that's going on because that's the other thing where you're also getting tricked. Psychology in humans and culture is my passion. And so when I'm teaching you about rope, like I said, the rope is just the tool. You're actually here to interact with somebody else. So for me, the greatest gift I can teach you is what it means to interact with another person in a very vulnerable way and then to be thoughtful and intentioned about what that looks like and then to use the rope as the tool for that. And so then the top is there to show you the technicalities of the ties that go along with that.
0: I would love to dig into this more. Could you walk me through maybe like one of the classes that you do teach and maybe one of the sequences that you go through?
1: Absolutely. So one of my favorite classes right now is what I call primal rope. Um, which, you know, I'm gonna spoiler alert. I think all kink is primal. That's what's saying that sex and death, right? Like we're coming to relate to ourselves in a in an animalistic way. I call it Darwin disconnect that we, you know, go through the rest of our lives with this. Uh, propriety and the civility and these manners, you know, um, clothing and saying the right words and all of those things. But, you know, really, we want to fucking fight. Yeah. Right. Like, so um, that's, that's what I think that, that we're getting out of rope is that ability to do those things. So primal rope. Uh, in that class, um, I am essentially leading you through understanding what that means and understanding the psychology of what's happening um you know also whenever i entered rope I, people would be like talking about subspace and i'd be like well what what are you talking about like what's subspace and it was always just a well described as this like mystical yeah. thing like we can't really describe it it just happens to you well no that's not how things work something's going on here right so that really started to actually is what inspired me to start researching i guess more about what's going on here in this rope thing that we're doing like what are these responses why do we act react this way why do we love it you know and um then how can we use that knowledge to enhance it right so i think the more that you know about that like the hotter you can make your scenes tell me the knowledge that you learned give me the
0: secrets (laughs) what did you learn about that
1: Well, when it comes to subspace, right, like it's actually going to be an unfortunate, fortunate thing that what I believe is happening there is rope bondage is activating your sympathetic nervous system, right? What's commonly referred to as fight or flight. What we also know is rest or digest, fight or flight, freeze or fawn. um, And then we have those reactions. And I'm going to Um, put out there that I think there's probably a lot of different reactions that we have to, that we haven't just put in little boxes. Um, and that's what I think is happening when we have subspace and anytime that we're going into rope. And so we have varied reactions and perceptions that go along with that. And if you have that understanding, you can understand what's happening and how your body's being activated, your mind and body's being activated. And then what that may present like. Um, so that's what I found about the space, right? Yeah. Um, yeah fascinating and yeah and then the other part is we're all searching for what we truly 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 want in this world which is to be vulnerable right we crave to be vulnerable really right like that's what we all really want is to be able to just be our raw selves and somebody still love and accept us in in the end of that right and in rope bondage what else are you but vulnerable
0: absolutely i have a question based on that maybe you have an answer Maybe you don't. Maybe it's an impossible question to answer. But rope bondage does feel the best when you are vulnerable. But being super vulnerable and being super open, it can lead to some sort of manipulation. It can lead to a lot of things. And I feel like that is very common in the rope world. And I was curious if you have any thoughts about that.
1: I absolutely do. <laughs> so thank you for asking that. I do think... um The difficulty that we experience in kink is the way that we look at this culture. There's a lot of ways that we want this culture to be. Like I said, it's it's beautiful and I'm passionate about it. And I've already explained all the reasons why for that. But it's also dangerous because the reality is, is the bell curve isn't the same as average culture, right? The people who are indifferent or altruistic are the outliers. And the average are people who want to hurt or be hurt and are not driven or altruistic they desire those things right on a level that can be very dangerous and then we have to understand that i'm walking into the lion's den yeah and if i don't have that knowledge i'm more likely to be hurt and i think we go into kink searching for something right we go like i said searching for that vulnerability searching for that acceptance most people who I see in kink, um, I kind of say they're the leftover Dungeons and Dragons nerds from high school, right? And they're coming to you know, play real life dungeon. And so that typically means that they, you know, unfortunately haven't always been socially accepted. Yes. So again, looking for that acceptance, and you find that often in kink. And that search to want to be accepted so readily does allow us to not be so clear and make the safest decisions about who we're engaging with, right?
0: you wrote another article called five ways to reduce harm and kink. (laughs) Can you give me a little outline of that? You label five big things that are important. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more than five, but you hit on five.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, I I feel like the more that we're able to talk about difficult things and have those conversations, the more that we can be aware of them and do something about it. Uh, And, so I know that I'm able to talk a lot <laughs> uh, and, and I love attention. So I'm happy to be that, that mouthpiece um, and that bastion for most communities that I roll around in. I love it. Um, <laughs> um, so we are entering into something again, like we just talked about where there's going to be harm and injury, right? Yes. Like pretending that there's not is harmful yeah right and that's where i get kind of on my high horse about rope like yeah it looks really pretty and great but you can also end somebody's life with it and you can harm them really fucking bad with it not only physically but spiritually emotionally reputationally all kinds of ways right you can you can use that tool it's like any tool right yeah the tool can be can be used to unite or to destroy yes right um so Through my own harm and evaluating my own harm, um, especially with a very recent incident, um, which for me, what was very different about this incident, and I just actually went back in this morning and, and edited that because I realized that I hadn't made the point that I've been injured and rope plenty before because it's a harmful activity. Yes. It's going to happen. You will right? get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. What was different for me in this situation was the lack of care of how it was handled and me needing to evaluate you, you talked about that vulnerability, right? Whenever we're going there and that vulnerability takes a level of trust, Mm -hmm. um, right? That desire to trust another, to care for you. That's what you're doing in rope. When I let somebody put me in rope, I am not only trusting, but expecting you to care for me right now. I do not have the agency to do so any longer once you put me in rope. Right? And the way this person handled the situation, I I started saying the phrase that yes, they took accountability, but they didn't take care. And there's a great difference in that.
0: Tell me about that. What does that mean?
1: Um, It means that you can say you're sorry, but if you don't do anything to really take on what that apology means for correction and to restore um, the person back or yourselves in the situation, right? Like that's, to me, that's the reason for making amends. Yes. Is to work towards the restoration. And then if I say I'm sorry, but then I don't offer any energy um, or accommodations towards that restoration, then that doesn't show that care.
0: That makes sense. Do you have any rope shoots or art photography stuff up and coming?
1: Absolutely. Thank you for asking that. One of my um, projects I'm working on right now, I. I'm so passionate about because it's been um, a year in the making so the thing that I'm looking most forward to is going to happen um, October 6th during the uh, Las Vegas Pride Parade okay so pride celebrations in Vegas are in October um, because you know it's 115 degrees right now that makes sense right? so, <laughs> uh, so last year's a photographer reached out to me and asked to do a pride shoot in front of some rainbow stairs uh on the strip and i was like sure but you know i'm not the type of model to just stand there and look pretty for the sake of shooting pictures i need this to have meaning and i started just searching in myself like what do i want to do what i want to bring to this um so when i approached this photographer they about the idea they're like i can't do that i'm afraid it's gonna offend too many people and I don't want to touch it, but thank you. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'm going to move on and I'm going to find somebody who wants to do this with me.
0: We got to hear the idea.
1: <laughs> um, and so I found a photographer and essentially through just trying to like ask to not be bothered while I'm doing this thing, um, through just going down to businesses and saying, hey, I'm going to be here outside of your thing. Can you just make sure people leave me alone? Uh, it got me connected to Las Vegas Pride and they've been so supportive in that um to the point that you know they did an interview to support this Mm -hmm. and um last month they uh helped highlight that for me during one of their pool parties so what i'm going to do is um it's now come to me being on fremont street which where the parade will end um and if you've come to vegas fremont is the old vegas and to me it's the part of vegas that i love as far as the entertainment um, goes in that way because the strip is walking down the casinos right but Uh, Fremont is where the creatives are. As far as those buskers, you're going to see all kinds of weird shit just right there on the street, whether it's, you know, an amazing, you know, soul singer to some guy standing there asking to be kicked in the nuts, right? Like, um, so I'll be down there, I will have um, some clothing, but my body will be mostly exposed. And I'm going to have in big, bold, black letters written on my body, um, nine different words. Some of them like, um, fat, gross, slut, queer, and I'm going to be wearing all of those words with pride. Yeah. Uh, I love yeah, it. cause, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I'm proud of who I am and you don't, you like words are in my opinion, words are words and it's the intention. You can say all kinds of pretty things and mean to be hurting me. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, And so I, I, I look at the measure of intention behind things and I want people to consider that I'm going to have a sign that says, let me wear your words with pride and, um, some markers for people to write on my body in whatever, whatever they feel inspired to write based on what they're seeing seeing and feeling right then my hope. And that's anything like, right, whatever. Uh, cause pride actually offered me a spot within the festival, but I said that I felt like that was too padded and insulated. Like I want to get the people who are not on my side and make them think and look me in the eye. Like if you want to write, you know, that I should burn in hell, look me in the eye while you write that on my body. Right. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully maybe we can even open up a dialogue because what I know is once you can realize I'm a human, like you're a human, the conversation changes completely. Totally. So I hope that with those black letters it'll be a bunch of colorful, beautiful, mostly positive message intertwined with it all.
0: I think it's gonna be all positive messages. I couldn't imagine someone putting a bad message (laughs) on there. So I have a question. Initially, you went up to businesses and said, Hey, I'm gonna be doing this outside. How did that (laughs) conversation go? Because that's very brave.
1: It was like that. (laughs) Basically, just like And they were all cool. Well, it was more like, you need to talk to this person, you need to talk to this person kind of thing, right? Um, Because essentially, uh, the place where I ended up deciding to go was in a downtown area. And whenever I I started going to the businesses, they're like, well, we're great with that, but I'm not really the person you can ask about that. Can you go ask this person? Go ask this person. So I ended up, um, the timing was first Friday, which downtown area um is a is basically an arts festival for local artists um the streets are blocked off they have booths and they open up um some art galleries for you to wander through mm-hmm. so uh it ended up being that where i wanted to do this was during first friday and so they're like well you're gonna talk to that person and that person is eventually got me connected to somebody who got me connected to pride gotcha
0: wow i'm very excited to see those photos are you going to publish them anywhere you put like a magazine or something
1: Pride is definitely going to publish them. And then it'll be part of works that I do later on whenever I'm publishing things for myself.
0: That's amazing. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. I guess in wrapping this up, is there anything else that you would like to add in here? Is there anything else you'd like to tell us about?
1: Yeah, that I'm available to talk for anybody. Like if you want to, you know, have me to, explain these rope things further or even explain humanity further I love to travel and that's what I aim to be doing fully next year's traveling, offering workshops um, lectures and classes to help understand um, different ways to approach our health and our humanity I love that
0: and you are Ray of Ash on Instagram raised with, like, with a Z
1: Okay. yeah unfortunately
0: unfortunately <laughs> somebody took the s already so you know we're gonna we'll contact him. we'll see if he can have it <laughs> thank you so much for being on this is amazing i personally learned a ton of beautiful words thank you so much
1: thank you i really love this time with you it's been great i appreciate nice. it